Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you use one of the ones in the pew in front of you, it's page 1165, page 1165 and 1166. So just the beginning of chapter 3 is on 1165. So if you're using one of those, we just want to make sure everyone's got their eyes on Scripture. And uh, the reason for that is because at the end of the day, (laughs) it really doesn't matter what Matt's opinion is. And uh, just to be frank with you, it really doesn't matter what your opinion is. What we're concerned with is what God's opinion is. Okay, Uh, what we really want to know is what does God have to say to us and for us? And um, many of you may wonder why we're uh, in the book of Philippians throughout this Christmas season. And it's because a main theme in the book of Philippians is joy and uh, Christmas season. This is a theme within the Christmas season as well. And uh, so the rest of this month, we're going to be finishing up the book of Philippians. And come January, uh, we're actually going to be starting a new series. So we're going to finish through chapter four by the end of this month. And uh, as we get to chapter four, which will be the Sunday right after Christmas, Uh, The focus there is rejoicing in the Lord, and what better way to celebrate Christmas than to be reminded of the joy that is found in Jesus, which is why Christmas is significant to begin with. Um, And that's exactly why our series idea of this is that lasting joy, true joy, is found in glorifying God. That is where true joy sits and remains. And so I encourage you, if you haven't already started into the Philippians challenge, you've still got a few more weeks left, you can do that. Read through the challenges that you would read through the whole letter of Philippians. It's four chapters. Read through it one time each week. And uh, some of you have really challenged yourself and you've been trying to go through it once a day. Um, awesome. Uh, my prayer is just that God's word would impact you in profound ways. Now, uh, Philippians chapter 3, a couple, of, a couple of notes here for those of you who may be just joining us. The uh, book of Philippians, or the letter of Philippians, is uh, written uh, by two guys, Paul and Timothy. And this is known by chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, Paul and Timothy to the church at Philippi. And this is written to the church. Everyone say the church. And so this is communicated to those individuals who say, I want to follow Jesus. And there's application that follows. There's specific instruction that follows. Okay. Now, as we specifically have come so far, we've uh, talked through Paul's desire for the church to continue this pursuit they've been going on and uh, to be ultimately rooted into an example that is revealed in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped or wielded for his own advantage, but he humbled himself, 
taking the form of a servant. And we've talked about the challenge that comes by the instruction that we're to uh, not only uh, consider our own needs, but also the needs of others. We're to prioritize serving. We're to prioritize uh, finding a joy in uh, being just as Jesus was. Now, as we think about going through life, bit by bit, piece by piece, many people tend to be accomplishment-driven. I don't know about you, but I'm a checkbox type of person. If you spend any time with me, you know this about me. I like lists. I like to check things off. I like setting goals and seeing those goals achieved. And uh, in preparation for this, I did some digging, and I found, I found these, which uh, were kind of nostalgic. So some of you may have stuff like this as well. So this is from 2007, and uh, I was Fulton County Treasurer of the Year for 4-H in my 4-H club. Okay? All right. Um, let's see. Another one. This one, 2001. Going way back. Some of you are like, that was that long ago. Canton Family YMCA 3rd and 4th grade basketball. Okay? All right. Uh, I have another one. It wasn't just basketball. 1999. Now we're back in the 90s. Okay. This was uh, the Fairview Little League. We won uh, first place in our tournament that year. Okay. And then this one was uh, 2008 Fulton County Fair's talent show. And uh, I don't even know what we won that year, but there's a trophy. Now, the reason I bring this out, you want to guess where I had to go to dig those out? I had to go, I, I had to go to my garage, right, and dig through a tub to pull these trophies of things passed out. Now the reason I bring that up is because all of those represent goals of some kind. And I'm gonna guess that there's many of you that have similar boxes in your garage or your attic. And it's been there for who knows how long has it not been opened. They represent goals pursued, things fought for, work, effort that was done. The prize was set, the work was done, and the goal was achieved. But now, for what? Those rewards are nothing but trophies collecting dust in a box. Now, you could say a lot about the experiences and the other life lessons. Sure, sure. But the actual physical reward is sitting in my garage collecting dust. So often in our lives today, we set goals and ambitions that shape who we are. Education, work, family, you name it. We seek these things and when we complete one, we move right on to the next. And it becomes a never-ending cycle that keeps us focused on one thing. The reward that we gain in the end. The main idea of today that we're going to unpack from Philippians 3 is the truth that when it comes to faith, the more we lose, the more we gain. When it comes to faith, the more we lose, the more we gain. 
In Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, he says that he counted everything as lost for the sake of Christ, which we're going to read here in a moment. So what does that do for us? And the subject question I want you to consider this morning is, why should I count everything as loss for the sake of Jesus? Now here's what I want to do. I want to have us read this text specifically. So I'm going to put it up here, and I want us to read it together. Um, from verses 1 through 11. If you are using one of the Pew Bibles, you can read in that, and it's going to be the same thing, all right? If you have a different version, there may be some nuances that are a little bit different. It communicates the same thing. But I want us to read this together out loud to proclaim these things, uh, reading Scripture together corporately, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to unpack it some more, okay? So read this with me, church family. Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, As to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, as we unpack this this morning, may you be glorified and may you open our eyes to see why there is great gain when we lose everything for the sake of Jesus. Father, for your purposes, equip us as your church to glorify you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we read through this passage, Paul really begins, first off, with an instruction and then a warning and an example. Now, in verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In other words, he's saying, for me to repeat myself is a good thing because it highlights for you what's important. And so this idea of you rejoice in the Lord, this is a theme that you're going to continue to see. And especially when we get to chapter 4, you're going to see it a lot. But understand that this theme is where our series idea comes from, that 
fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. Paul identifies this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Everyone say the Lord. That this is where fullness of joy is found. If I'm seeking to find joy or rejoice in anything else, there is the potential that that is going to let me down. Rejoice in the Lord. Then if we move on to verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And you go, what in the world is he talking about? I'm going to give you one key here. He's not talking about your pet. He's not saying beware of dog. Right? There's there's a difference here. The, The terminology dog in ancient biblical times commonly amongst the Jewish people was used to refer to people who weren't Jews, otherwise known as Gentiles. That's what they would call them. And it was meant to separate people. It was a, it was a derogatory term to refer to someone who was separated from the community of God. Now, what's interesting about Paul here is he twists this the other way. And his reference here to dogs or mutilators of the flesh is actually him referring to the Jewish people who were what was known as the Judaizers. Everyone say Judaizer. Now, a Judaizer is simply this. It was a person who was so fixated on the law that there was no room for grace or struggle of any kind. And this was a big turning point when the new covenant is established in Jesus. Because previously... Man, you had to follow the marks of the law to a T. And the Pharisees, this religious group of leaders, stepped in and they started making additional rules. And all of a sudden it was all about following the rules and they lost sight of following after God. Jesus enters the picture and now you have this promise that salvation is by faith in Christ. And Jesus himself said, I've not come to get rid of the law, I've come to fulfill it. That in Christ, the law is fulfilled. But the Judaizers were still convinced that in order to truly be a follower of God, you had to become a Jew first. And so one of the stipulations per the Old Testament law under the Abrahamic covenant was that all those who were truly part of the nation of Israel were circumcised. That's where this whole terminology comes from. It was a physical identifier of a transformational covenant that was found in God. The Judaizers were saying, whoa, there's all these people that are coming to faith in Jesus, and they need to follow our rules if they're truly going to be followers of Jesus. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's not at all the case. Paul wasn't the only one who struggled with this. Peter struggled with this. In fact, in Acts chapter 10... Peter is sent to the Gentiles to share the gospel with them. And there's quite a few Jews who are struggling with this idea. But when Peter shares in Acts chapter 14 about all that God is doing amongst the Gentile people, they they can't deny God's movement there. And then there's a, a council that meets in Acts chapter 15 because Paul is now arguing for this. Like, hey, I... There's, there's a reason that God is sending us to the Gentile people. The people 
had not yet understood that salvation was by faith alone. And the Judaizers communicated, this is a matter of both believing and doing what we tell you to do. And if you don't do both, then you're not truly a part of the family of God. That can become a slippery slope. And we as believers can know from Scripture that our faith doesn't depend on works, but do we live that way? Do we live as though our faith is not dependent on works? Now, if we look further what Paul says here, he says in verse 3, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And what? Put no, everyone say no, put no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul isn't speaking to this from a lack of experience, and that's what he goes on to describe. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. In other words, Paul's saying, I've met the standards. I've met the stipulations before I came to Jesus. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law. Paul is a Pharisee. As to zeal, he persecuted the church. Why did he persecute the church? Because they weren't abiding by the pharisaical law. Blameless. But in verse 7 he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul, in accordance with the law, with all the rules and regulations, he had it nailed down. He was a legalist. Give me the rules. I follow the rules. But what did he lack? Before coming to Christ, he lacked faith. He lacked trust and faith and confidence in Christ. Here's the simple truth in this, everyone. You can think that you are meeting every qualification set out. You can say, and I get this all the time, I'll talk to people and they say, I, I love the question. You die today, you stand before God, and he says, why should I allow you to step into eternity with me? Number one answer I get, people automatically resort to, I'm going to defend how good a person I've been. Oh, you know what, I, I try to do good most of the time, and I, I think I've done more good than bad, and... It's this justification. And yet scripture says there is no one who is righteous. There's not one. No matter how good you think you've done, you have not been good to the point of the holiness of God, which if God allows unholiness into his presence, he's no longer holy. So I'm here to say the bad news is you, you will never do good enough. And this is exactly what Paul's getting at. You can follow every rule. You could... This is dangerous. You could know the words of Scripture backwards and forwards. But if you don't choose to believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, it is all for nothing. 
There are, church, there are secular people who do not believe in the name of Jesus to be saved that teach the Bible at secular schools. There are people who are the most anti-anything-to-do-with-religion-at-all people that know the Bible better than me. Your knowledge of things and ability to follow rules can never save you. Only Jesus can. Only Christ. And that's why Paul says, I, I have every reason to be confident in my flesh. But everything I've gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Why? Church, our sinful desire is to fill our lives full of accomplishments, status, fleshly, worldly ways in order to separate ourselves from the world. But what separates us from the world should not be that of our own doing. It should be the complete renewal and transformation of our minds. Day by day as a result of the saving grace that's found in Jesus' name. A grace that He has so lovingly bestowed upon us. Not because we deserved it, but because of His great love for you. So if we're really called to give up everything for the sake of Christ, this is such a Western question. Do I get anything for it? Do I get anything in return? Well, I'm glad you asked. As we continue reading, I believe Paul clearly gives us three specific gains that come when we count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. The first one of those is that we gain knowledge of Christ. We should count everything as lost for the sake of Jesus because we gain knowledge of Him. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the, get this, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Understand this. Paul says this in past tense. He, he said, I've already considered the value of the earthly, fleshly things that I have and they're nothing in comparison to Jesus. They're worthless in comparison to my Savior. They are worth nothing. He's rid himself of these things. Why? Because knowledge of who Jesus is, is worth so much more. It's not a simple knowledge of who he said he is. It is a personal relationship with the very being of Christ. Now, we... We've all used the phrase, in comparison to this, or there's no comparison. Many of us use this. When compared with that, it seems better. We use this in regards to our food, our lifestyles, our jobs. When Paul compares the rest of life with Christ, he says there is no comparison. 
there is nothing that comes close. Everything else is counted as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Do we desire to know Christ like that? Or is something else worth more to us? And honestly, how we spend our time and our resources will reveal that if we really look close. We should desire (laughs) this gain. Gaining this connection. Here's the hard truth, okay? So often, and church, this is a false narrative that you need to be keenly aware of. Coming to faith in Jesus does not equal earthly material blessing in the here and now. In fact, for many of you, coming to faith in Christ may equal more suffering and more hurt and more pain. Why? Because the things of God are not of this world. There's a reason we need to be saved. And it's because our sin permeates every fabric of this earth. Romans 8 says the creation itself is groaning in the pains of childbirth, longing for the return of Jesus to be renewed and made new. And that's why Paul says that it's for his sake, in verse 8, that I have suffered the loss of all things. This is not an easy flip the switch. Oh, you know what? None of this stuff matters to me anymore. It is a daily struggle. And I'm with you in that. It is a constant battle that has to be fought because the things of this world are appealing. And don't, don't tell me they're not. Because I know every one of us struggles with that. But knowing Jesus is worth so much more. We may not know we were so attached to something until it's gone. Not only does Paul suffer to lose everything, he counts it all as rubbish. Now here, this is probably the funniest piece of this passage. The actual literal interpretation of this word, rubbish, is dung or manure. Now, honestly, growing up in an agricultural environment, manure is not something you want to let set. You need to get rid of it. And every morning when we go to take care of the livestock, one of the daily tasks was you needed to scoop that stuff out and get rid of it. It wasn't enough to just set it on the side. I can't just take the pitchfork and pick it up and move it into the corner. Why? It still stinks. And it's still gross. And my goodness, it doesn't matter how small or big your livestock operation is. You want a good conversation about that? You talk to Phil Dare sometime about how they deal with manure. And if you ever have a question about that, you just wait till they're spreading that and go over by Walmart and you will know. Okay? 
Now, there's something even more applicable in the scope of that. Because God can use the ridding of such things for our benefit. And I'm an agricultural mind, so automatically I'm like, fertilizer. Right? And that's what we use it for. What do you do with the refuse that's collected in a livestock operation? You spread it across the land because it helps the fruit grow better. Some of you are holding on to manure in the midst of your lives, hoping it's going to produce something. And what you really need to do is get rid of it so that God can grow something in you that is of worth, so much more worth. What is it? It's not enough to just toss it to the side, throw it away for the sake of Christ. Even though there's hardship and pain that may come and suffering loss, there's yet another reward at the end of the tunnel. And this brings us to the second one in verse 9. We should count everything as lost for the sake of Christ in order to gain a righteousness that's defined by faith. Verse 9 says, that I, end of verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What's the contrast to this? The contrast to this is a righteousness that depends on me. Okay? Now, I'm going to have you do something. You've got to be nice about it because it's true for you too. So, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I just want you to tell them, you're not good enough. Okay? Now that we've gotten that out of the way, Okay? Here's the hope. Jesus is. Amen, right? Because the only way for me to be righteous before God is through Christ. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from my ability to follow the rules. But that which comes through faith in Jesus' name. The righteousness from God that depends. It depends on you having faith. Not in your ability to do better. I I want you to grasp that. You will never do enough. You will never get there. And I do not want you to leave today thinking that you can make it into God's presence of your own doing. You won't do it. But this is exactly why Scripture says that the way to heaven, the way to eternity is narrow. What does that mean? It means a majority of people won't get there. And in fact, Matthew 7 is one of the gravest warnings to us where it says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not do all of these things in your name? And he will say to them, I never knew you. What's the contrast? They did a lot. They did a lot. 
That's a righteousness defined by my own abilities, not one that's defined by faith. When we count everything else as lost for the sake of Jesus, that is the moment when we realize I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. And it's in that moment that I recognize my depravity and I recognize what's given me in Jesus that I gain a righteousness because of my faith. Not because of anything that I could do. It only comes through faith. Paul concludes this passage by reaching kind of the climax. He counts everything as lost so that he may gain the ultimate prize, the, fellow, the prize of fellowship with God himself. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the ultimate goal and prize for losing everything. Yes, we gain knowledge and righteousness, but through this we gain the peak of an intimate relationship with Christ. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice and suffered on our behalf. What more could we want than to count all things as lost for His sake? To know and understand the power of His resurrection. To share in the suffering that He went through for us. To attain eternal life and resurrection from the dead. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who He is and what He has already accomplished. So what are the things, everyone? What are the things in your life that you just can't set aside? For some of you, it's your job. That's priority number one for you right now. For some of you, it's earthly relationships. Those relationships are more important to you than Jesus. For some of you, it is media and technology. Get off your phone and engage with a world that desperately needs Jesus. Turn off the TV. The 24-hour news station is not making you more like Jesus. And if you really want an eye-opener into that, Many of you who have smartphones, you can pull up this thing. It's called screen time. It tells you how many hours a day you're spending on your phone. You know the average for that is over eight? Over eight? And we can't take 15 or 20 minutes to open God's Word? Oh my goodness. What is it that you can't set aside? What are the trophies you are going for that need to be thrown out? Because I'm here to tell you, the trophies you earn on this earth, they're going to stay in a box. I don't care where you have them in your house. Chances are, when you're gone, they're going in the dumpster. 
because your kids probably aren't going to keep them around. Okay? What defines your faith and relationship with Jesus? Is it your own efforts that you've put forth? Is that what you think proves yourself? I have to prove myself to God every day? No, 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 no. God already knows where you're at. And he's asked you to come to him through Christ, his son. Why don't we live in light of eternity today, church? Because when it comes to faith, the more we lose for the sake of Jesus, the more we gain. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to sing just a handful more songs together as we consider this. And some of you may wonder how, this, how in the world this can intersect with Christmas. Well, here's the truth. Um, the reason we celebrate Jesus' coming is because apart from Jesus' coming, you and I would still be dependent on our own effort for salvation. The birth of the Savior is more than just the birth of a boy that we celebrate at Christmas time. It is the birth of God's love shown to us in Christ. It's the embodiment of Philippians 2 when Jesus took the form of a servant on your behalf. And it opened the door of opportunity for us to walk in faith. Not by our own strength or our own authority or our own power, but through His. And so in every season that we face, we know that there can be a constant joy even at the suffering of loss because of what has been done for us in Jesus' name. Amen? Father, I pray that as we consider these things, You will help us to challenge ourselves to acknowledge those things in our lives that stand in the way of us simply pursuing You. God, that You would open our eyes to see the worth of knowing Jesus to understand that it is not of earthly merit or value in the scope of all of this, but that it is truly a gift that lasts for eternity. I pray for those today who are suffering, whether that be internally or externally. God, those who are in the midst of challenging seasons, that they would recognize that uh, no one of us is farther than the other away from uh, hope and joy that lasts because of what's been done in Christ. God, help us to see the opportunities that you're sending our way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. God, that you would draw our hearts to you and to those individuals who you've called us to pull close to love as Jesus loved. All for your glory. God, may we celebrate what has been done in Christ. But when we also mourn the state that we're in and seek you and be dependent on you, recognizing that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Father, all of this for your glory above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.